0: Hi, everybody. You're listening to the Rope Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show.
1: This is a show with adult content. So if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now.
0: This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk. And we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FedLife page, Rope Podcast.
1: Box is a rigger and Maya, that's me, is the bottom. And we're rope partners who've been tying together for five years. We live in Bangkok and love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by Friction Live. Friction Live offers a variety of kink classes, mostly centered around rope and things you can do to complement your rope, which you can follow along with from the comfort of your own home. You can attend the class live or view it recorded at your convenience. Check them out on frictionlive.ca.
0: Maya, today we're excited to be talking to Zoe who is a BDSM researcher who also does rope. She wants BDSM to be understood better by those who do academic research on it and we wanted to talk to her today about her findings, particularly around rope bondage practice and community and the sociology of rope.
2: Super.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Zoe.
2: Hello, it's so nice to meet you.
0: Absolutely. So to get started, Zoe, tell us a bit about yourself. How did you get started with rope in the first place?
2: Oh, I'd be happy to. So um, I am a researcher, but I also, of course, do rope. Um, my journey began, actually, as a lot of people's, I was interested in, in rope and BDSM, and I didn't know there was a whole community about it, and um, I didn't really get to explore that a whole lot. Until my, my PhD supervisor, she had a book launch at a sex, at a sex shop and she actually had a local rope top, um, do a demo. Wow. Okay. And that was the, yeah, that was the first time I, I actually thought of or known you could do rope as something other than, you know, just restraints during sex. Um, cause they did, I think an arm binder and they talked about, um, how you can have a rope partner who isn't your romantic partner and, um, you can get pleasure out of it that isn't just um, normative sex kind of thing mm-hmm. and it just blew my mind and I was so excited and um and you know they talked about how there's a whole community about it so I um when I was able to I joined FetLife and I started going to munches and rope practices and um it just kind of took off from there about seven years ago so I since then I've met um Almost all of my close friends through rope, it really became my social life. I really dove deep into the kind of community of rope. And I started out rope bottoming, um, and then I learned how to tie myself. I started doing self-tying and self-suspension, and then even used that to start uh, rope topping a very small number of people. So I've been all over the map, but I found rope to be really um, a way to communicate things that I hadn't had another way to do that with people, to communicate affection or closeness and connection. So,
0: sounds yeah. amazing.
1: <laughs> okay, super interesting. So your um, supervisor there uh, sounds like she was doing some interesting research. What made you decide then to explore rope bondage in your research?
2: Yeah, so I was actually already in Ottawa doing my PhD and I was looking at power and oppression um, in TV shows about women in prison. So, like, Orange is the New Black, that's what I was studying. Mm-hmm. And I was just on, on my own in my own social life doing rope. And uh, because I'm a nerd, I was researching rope one day. And I thought, oh, I wonder if there's research about it. And I, I looked in my academic, um, like, uh, search engine. And the first things that came up were so bad. And there's, if you look for shabari, I don't really recommend it. There's the top, the top hit still is an article that's you know pretty stigmatizing it's it's kind of calling people mentally ill and it does a lot of pretty you know the typical negative things about BDSM and rope Um, and from there I looked at BDSM research and a lot of it too is um, doesn't seem like they get the point of kink honestly and so I got very frustrated and I decided to change my topic in my third year, my PhD, my poor supervisor, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Exciting. Uh, I was
2: like, you know what? I'm really sorry, but I'm so passionate about this. Um, I want to kind of set the record straight. I want to do better. So, um, luckily since then I've found, uh, that there's a lot of good research, not about rope. There's not a lot about rope period, but there's some kind of, uh, there's, there's a small body of really good kink research. A lot of it by kinky people or, uh, people that really listen to kinky people. So I'm happy to have found that small community and Yeah, my, my main motivation has been um, to try to f- improve the literature because I think um, People need to know that what we do is okay. I mean, it's it's a low bar, but <laughs> We need to stop being horrible <laughs>
0: Oh, no, that's amazing. So what research have you done so far in this area?
2: Right, so I interviewed 23 people who do rope, um, people that top, bottom, switch, and people in the United States and Canada. And uh, yeah, I did a whole research project about that. So I was looking, I had a lot of, actually, I wanted to look at rope education and how the interesting ways that we kind of scaffold different classes and communicate with each other. But um, my whole committee, my research, my my supervisors and stuff, they they were like no one even knows what rope is <laughs> so you have to really set that ground groundwork first so my research ended up just being like what is rope what do people do what is it like and what's it like to be a part of the subculture because research does not know researchers don't know that there's a subculture built around rope it's not in anything pretty much it's in one I found it in a um, a German master's thesis. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: feel free to point them at the rope podcast as a resource if they want to know (laughs) what rope is
2: sure yeah so uh, i was like you guys this isn't right there's there's people like you there's people like you out there there's books there's all sorts of stuff there's no reason to be this ignorant so (laughs) um yeah so i ended up asking people you know uh, what's rope like and my research ended up focusing on um, how subculture community is experienced as well as um, how people feel about rope and what it's like for them because I think those two things are really intertwined um, because the passion we have for rope, what it's like to have rope on your skin or rope in your hands and connect with a partner really drives why we connect in community.
1: Okay, and we understand that rope communities are, have become or are a particular research interest of yours. So can you tell us a bit about the findings there?
2: Yes, so... Part of why I, I talked to people uh, in Ottawa, I interviewed, I think, 12 people here uh, and 11 on Zoom across Canada and the US, was because I had a suspicion, which is not going to be rocket science to people like yourselves who are doing this amazing international podcast, mm. that um, we're connected past cities. Mm. It's not just, you know, communities aren't just about who you can see in person. Um, and I was able to confirm that of course people's connections people had a lot of similar things to say about rope um their practices and their kind of communities across cities and countries but i also found that i had a really diverse i was really lucky to talk to a quite diverse sample of people a lot of research on bdsm is very white pretty heterosexual or it's about gay men Mm-hmm. And I managed to have um, almost everyone is queer. Probably about half the participants are trans or non-binary or agender. Um, a third of the participants are people of color and about half reported having a disability. So I had this really neat subset of people who shared a lot of stories about community and struggling to to find a healthy community for them. Um, Experiences of racism and microaggressions or, you know, the ableism of kink spaces, um, but also a lot of uh, positive things about, you know, building your own space or meeting people like you um, and the strengths that can come from, you know, mobilizing your own marginalization, like, like meeting other people with similar experiences and trying to help improve the subculture.
0: Speaking of this, how do people find community within Rope in your experience, Zoe?
2: Yeah. So a lot of people actually similar to me found it through FetLife. And what was funny is most people I talked to, um, my criteria was they had to have been doing rope for at least six months. However, Mm -hmm. they define that, but most people had been, I think the least was a year, but a lot of people were five plus years. So a lot of people I talked to had been through basically stumbling across FetLife, usually for porn reasons or trying to find other partners, Mm -hmm. binding the community through munches and practices. Um, and rope events were really critical to finding community. And often also kind of moving past that, we're feeling like, you know, I've met some really great friends, but the spaces aren't healthy or there's somebody who harmed me is there or these policies are racist and I'm, I'm kind of out. So a lot of people were no longer active in their local communities, but they might be active on Twitter and Instagram, connecting with other people. Remotely while they didn't necessarily feel comfortable going places in person. So Yeah,
0: that's very interesting. Yeah, Do, do you find that people still use FetLife a lot in the Communities you work with or are they moving to other platforms more nowadays?
2: I Think what I found was people were using FetLife as a tool to so like for example one of the things that I wasn't able to talk about in my dissertation that I'm going to write up about later is about how um, people with visible, visible marginalization. So people of color, particularly black folks and um, people with visible disabilities were like, I'm going to do photography or I do photography so people can see me and people like me will know that we belong here. Mm -hmm. So they use photography to try to carve out a space that they don't feel is already there. And people use FetLife for that or seem Mm. to use FetLife for that as well as other things. Um, But it didn't seem to me to be like a super positive place for a lot of people these days. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, unsolicited messages, um, racism coming in your inbox when you're not expecting it, um, stuff like that. So it seems like a good platform for people to still find events and host events and share photos, but It seems kind of a double-edged
0: sword. So if I'm understanding you correctly, it's more of an entry point into an in-person community, but it's not so much a place where the community itself happens.
2: Yeah, I would say an entry point to in-person community and community in other platforms like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, so you, when you find the people that you like, or you admire, you follow them and then you can kind of move off of that life and Mm -hmm. coordinate.
0: Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts. So we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too.
1: So it sounds like people really go through a a change cycle uh, in terms of their... Uh, relationship with BDSM. So what can you tell us about how rope changes from a group sitting to the impact of practicing rope um, maybe in private uh, versus online?
2: Sure, Um, so I I actually had intended to recruit participants for my research um, on FetLife and Twitter but also I was going to put posters up in our local sex shops which have rope lessons and my initial post on FetLife was so successful. People were really, uh, I'm really grateful people volunteered. Uh, I think I got 70 volunteers in the first 48 hours. Wow. And I could only talk to about, at the time, 20 people. So I was like, you know what, I'm not going to put posters up. I'm going to focus specifically on people who are in community um, or have at least connected with the online world so that they would have seen this. So I didn't actually talk to anyone who had never been in community Hmm. i did talk to people who left community or were not accepted in community so um like when i talked to one man um chen and he he's an asian man a chinese exchange student who said that like he would have loved to kind of make friends but when he went to local um rope spaces he wasn't really people weren't really welcoming um because he's a male rope bottom he felt like that kind of made him not fit in and also that some cultural differences and language barriers that he just felt uncomfortable and didn't go back. So his practice was very personal. His stories were just about him and his partner or his own journey. Um, And it seemed like less of an identity than people that spend a lot of time in the social world of rope. Hmm. So, um, and alternatively, you know, some people that spent years in rope and that stepped out of it because um, it wasn't really a positive social world for them anymore, but they then they practiced in private, and they had um, lots of things to say about that. So I think,
1: sorry, I, I think no, that, it's really interesting. Yeah. How, how did it change for people, their rope practice when they're doing it in private? So if they've been in the community for a long time, what what happens when they start doing it just alone or with a partner?
2: There was actually I heard a lot of grief. I think that rope. Rope as a social world is a lot more than just putting rope on a partner or getting rope put on you. And people that didn't have the social connections seemed kind of sad about that, that they weren't doing it in dungeons or they weren't connecting with friends. But also those private experiences could still be really powerful. So um, it did sound like a lot of the norms we have about rope and what it means and um, you know, drop and headspace, things that we talk about were all there. So they learned a lot And probably shared their own knowledge when they were in the space but their private play um, didn't seem a lot different than it would have been except for them recognizing kind of missing out missing on feeling that sense of belonging
0: Mm, that seems like a really important thing to be conscious about and as an individual who plays with rope decide how you're going to to integrate and interact with your local communities and which ones are positive for you and which ones might actually hurt you more than they help you, I guess.
2: Exactly. And I think some people, I think the kind of people who only do rope alone and don't care about community didn't answer my call for participants. So I don't, Mm -hmm. I didn't really talk to them. I'm sure those people do exist too, who it's more private and more personal, like alone, personal, not.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Although they might find challenges because in a lot of, places saying, oh, I only play in private. I don't go to events can be seen as a red flag that you're not the safest person to play with.
2: Yeah, and I actually found that um, one of my favorite questions at the end of my interviews, I asked everyone, what do you want people to know about us? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you wish people knew about rope that don't do rope? And almost everyone said, like, I wish they knew that this community exists so that newbies can find us because they're worried about safety. So people worry so much about, you know, new practitioners and whether it's nerve damage or um, harmful predatory people, all sorts of things people are really worried about. And I think the community can really help people find access to skills and knowledge that can help protect people against that.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So Zoe, in your research, what positive findings have you discovered about rope?
2: Well, so one thing that was really neat as well, so the people that people of color and people with disabilities, which some people were, of course, both of those things, um, they had a lot of negative things to say about like racism and discrimination, but they also had some really cool stories about um, kind of resisting the, the kind of the stress of, you know, discrimination and things like that um, and how, you know, people with disabilities, for example, could find power and strength in their skills. So having chronic pain might mean that you have some skill management techniques that the average person who is able-bodied doesn't. And we're having um, a person with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome talked about how they're uniquely flexible and how they can bring that to bear in rope to do some really interesting shapes that most people wouldn't be able to. But I also loved, I asked everyone, what is rope like for you? Like in a really vague, really general sense, what is rope like? And the answers were so gorgeous. Like people said it's infinite in a way that so few things are. Um, One person said there's just beautiful violence in my brain. And the way that people talked about the complicated pleasure of rope, I just loved it. So it's not as simple as, you know, like when we talk about sex, it's like, oh, I like, or somebody likes orgasms. Like that's nice. But this complicated, often cytomasochistic, pleasure of why would you do rope and sometimes when I talk to people outside of the rope world they're very confused about why people do this thing if they're not going to have sex in it and a lot of people you know do rope without having sex in the rope and just hearing all the ways people experience pleasure whether it's athletic or meditation or grounding or you know that complicated pain pleasure thing or all sorts of things I just love that
0: Sounds awesome.
1: And so, um, you work in a uh, academic context. How do your work colleagues react to your research? So,
2: mostly quite positively. It's very nice. Um, I do work with a lot of academic feminists, and so mostly it's been very, you know, very sex positive, very cool. There has been that odd conversation where someone says, well, yeah, I just don't understand how it's not abusive. And it gets a little awkward, but... Um, a lot of people at the start kind of wanted to know how I got access. So they're like, well, how are those people even talking to you? So I came out in my research, I said, I am a robotic practitioner. I'm, I am part of the community that I'm studying. Um, because I think that's important to frame how I see it, but also when people ask that, I can tell them the truth that, yeah, people might not actually want to talk to strangers about this but I'm glad people are willing to talk to me
1: how do you get reactions when you tell them that you do rope
2: very weird people don't know what to say <laughs> so often I'm, I'm surprised I've learned how many people don't know what the acronym BDSM refers to so often actually the first time, the first time they go what they what's rope what and I say oh it's a type of BDSM and they're like what's and then I explain, and then they go they usually they might blush or freeze or look really awkward. But sometimes they say, "Oh, me too," and I'm like, "Oh, cool." Or they're like, "Oh, I saw that on Pornhub," and I'm like, "Probably <laughs> not quite like I do it, but it's me." <laughs> and so, um, you know, sometimes it's a good start of a conversation. Uh, definitely, some people have been like, "Can you write the name of that website down for me?" <laughs> uh, like, how do you spell life? <laughs> I'm like, but. Um, yeah, so it's been kind of all over the map, but people have been pretty respectful, so I appreciate that.
1: And what kind of a uh, response to your academic work have you had?
2: It's been really positive. People are quite excited. So I do um, – I'm in criminology, and I have a – one of my goals is to – generally in my research is to fight against disti- uh, stigmatization Um, so people can just live their lives without being interrupted by, you know – the law or people's, um, people's impressions of what you're doing that are wrong. Studying quote unquote deviance is very popular. So people get very excited that I had access. Sometimes, you know, I have to divert questions that aren't super appropriate, like, oh yeah, are a lot of people super abusive? (laughs) And you're like, no. Um, and so I get to kind of use it as a chance to kind of Explain the difference between consensual kink and non-consensual violence But the general um, impression has been very cool people are very happy that When they hear my story of how um, the research that exists about rope is is pretty rough a lot of it And I want to fix that people get excited.
0: That's, That's really nice. important advocacy work. You're doing sounds like
2: Thank you. I really I really like it. I do wish I um, I think when people that do rope read my work they're not going to see a lot that's a shock to them but hopefully it's going to be more about seeing things that you already knew just put out there in a way other people can see
0: yeah um, that seems really important we can really use that as a global community
2: yeah i hope no one minds a little bit that i'm just pulling back the curtain <laughs> a bit
0: well, i think i think that's extremely useful uh, zoe where do you see yourself taking your research in the future
2: so One thing that I'm doing is I'm talking to um, researchers, qualitative researchers, about how we can use kink ethics to improve research ethics. So I have a whole presentation that I'm going to write up in a paper that I talked about how um, concepts of aftercare and kink and concepts of ongoing communication and ongoing consent can really um, inform the research process because I found that ethics... at my school or at my at my institution um they didn't really want I, I had a higher bar for ethics than they did because of my experience in kink so i'm gonna try to do some work that direction i'm really interested in photography and representation and how people um, use photography as a tool and communication method and how people learn through photos and also education how we do how we communicate our education in harm reduction and management through that.
1: That sounds fascinating. And what other uh, emerging rope research specifically have you discovered? Because I'm sure people would be interested.
2: Yes, so there's very little. So one thing that I that I have on my FeltLife account is I have a, a document that is, or a, a writing that's um, basically a bibliography of like a lot of BDSM research that I think is pretty decent. And there's a few rope things in there, so they're really cool. But I think my favorite is a 2019 um, article by, they're called Ordine and Pennington. And they talk about um, how rope is, like, they talk about the flow of time and rope. And they, they, it's a very cool, it's this, this concept of how, like, time becomes fluid and rope is like an, they call it an affective embodiment, but that it's just, it's very, I, I'm not doing justice to it, but it's, um one of those things when you're like oh that nailed it like that concept of time and how flexible and mushy and gooey it can get when you're in rope or doing
0: rope mm, that reminds me of uh, a conversation we were having with Shay recently about uh, transient hypofrontality where like the working of your brain can be affected in certain ways when you do rope and that in turn affects your perception of time and your environment and so on
2: Oh wow! My one of my participants called that the time dilation effect. That's and I a like, really
0: cool SF name for it.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They talked about, and it was fun because they talked to me in the interview. like, "You know what I mean?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do know what you mean." <laughs> like the time stretches or gets shorter. i I'd love to hear about Shay's perspective on that. That's so you cool. will
0: very soon. Yes. Um, so Zoe, we've talked about your work a lot and it was super interesting. Let's talk a bit more about your personal play, if you don't mind. In terms of rope, what gets you going at the moment?
2: Sure. So my rope practice is quite quiet right now. Um, like a lot of people, you know, my uh, COVID has really put a damper on connecting with people. Um, I do some self-tying still mostly for grounding purposes. And um, I have a a person that I was showing, showing some beginner rope stuff too in single column so that's fun so right now i'm primarily i'm doing a little bit of bottoming mostly self-tying and um kind of waiting for the pandemic to be less of a hmm. thing so that i could hopefully connect with people in community spaces again
0: it does make it a lot more difficult doesn't it
2: it does and i i'm right before right before the pandemic hit i was able to go to montreal for Le, la nuit des cordes oh, and nice. perform and yeah and perform and i got to tie with a friend and be tied by a really cool person and i was so glad i got to have that experience before the world kind of mm-hmm. shut down
0: <laughs> in terms of style is there a type of rope play you particularly enjoy
2: yeah i really like uh, most of my rope has been with um non-sexual partners so it definitely influences things but i really like silly rope or funny, funny rope. Like that performance I mentioned, um, we were even a snake and my rope top had a snake head on and <laughs> we were laughing the whole time. And I really like when it feels, you feel the adrenaline, you're spinning, or upside down, but I find that rope, um, that involves some kind of pain also really brings me into the present and I feel the person I'm with. I feel myself and everything else just goes away. And I, I love that.
1: And how has exploring work from an academic perspective changed your personal work practice?
2: It's funny because I don't know if it has as much as my own practice has affected my research. Because I, when I, when I have experiences, I look for how can I explain this to other people in a way I didn't before. Um, but I think that I've been quite lucky that I have such good friends that my. Uh, my rope life and my academic life have been pretty well entwined, you know, people looking at my work to give me feedback. And um, the person that tied me the most, my the person who's my rope top for the longest, also read my work and gave me feedback. So there's a lot of overlap between my experience of rope and my academic work.
0: That's amazing, Zoe. It was so interesting and fun talking to you today. Where can our listeners find you on the internet?
2: Thank you so much. So I have a FetLife account um, for Ropeology. That's Ropeology, O-L-O-G-Y, and I'll be posting stuff there so people can keep up to date on where the research goes. I also have a ResearchGate account, so that's ResearchGate.net um, under Zoe Jones, and there you can see, you know, you can download stuff, and um, yeah, or you can send me a message on on FetLife and we can connect if you want to chat.
0: All right, we'll make sure to include that in the show notes for this episode. And that will be all from us today at the Rope Podcast.
1: Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And come find us on our FetLife page or our Instagram, both at Rope Podcast.
0: If you have a question related to rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife or Instagram.
1: And if you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page. Thanks for listening,
0: and have fun tying.